morning, everybody. Morning. The, uh, so this week, as I've sat down with a few of you, I, some of you know that I was going to be teaching on the feast this week, and um, I, I, get ex- I get excited. I get overly excited. Rusty, I think I might actually use that microphone this time. The, uh, so anyway, I was having lunch this week with um, Henry Hernandez, Jim Pinkston, and I started to tell them about the, the message of this week. And in your life, have you ever talked to like a six-year-old who's telling you a story they're really excited about, and they start stuttering, and they're so excited they can't even organize their thoughts to pull it together? And as I'm talking to, to Jim and Henry, and Luke gave me the same face earlier this week too, is they stopped me and they said, what do you want people to get out of this? Like, slow down, little guy. Slow down. And all I want you to get out of this, I just want you to be encouraged. I guess that's what I realized. I just want you to be encouraged. And I hope when you come here every Sunday, you are encouraged. And, you know, the one verse that comes up that I I think about quite a bit is, you know, John 10.10, that, you know, the thief comes only steal, kill, and destroy. But I came that they'd have life and have it abundantly. That this whole thing, it's not, as you all know, this is not a behavior modification program. He wants you to live. He said, I came that they'd have life. He didn't say, I came that they'd sin less. He said, I came that they'd have life. And the more we're focused on life, the more I think we can enjoy him and the more we can have an abundant life. So when we look at these feasts, I'm not kidding. It just absolutely, it just blew me away years ago. And I remember one time sitting down talking to, to Lauren Anderson about this. And we we're, were just talking. I told him, I said, my confidence, my confidence in Christ it comes from Judaism. My confidence does not come from the Gospels alone or from Paul's writings. My confidence comes from Judaism. And as I've studied the Old Testament, as I've studied the feast, my mind was absolutely blown at just the exactness of it all. And the uh, this is where, you know, sometimes you'll see me back there. I'll, I'll, I'll sit down with the little ones. And I've asked my kids this, this question many times. I've probably asked some of you this question. But, Todd, before you put up the Time Magazine listing, I'd just like to hear the most significant person who's ever lived in the history of the world. Who would you say that that is? This might be a biased crowd here, but who would you say that, who would you say that is? All right, I'll, I'll phrase it this way. Who would you say is the second most significant person that's ever lived. Dan. Gutenberg. Gutenberg. Well, the Gutenberg Press? Yes. Oh, very good. All right. I like that. All right. Who else? What other names come to mind? Yes. Shake. Very good. I like that one. Yep. Who else? Nate. Do you have your hand up? No? Okay. <laughs> Nate could be on that list. Someday we'll all work for Nate. Yes. Martin Luther. Very good. The... Uh, some people might even say Martin Luther King. All right, Time Magazine in 2013 made a list of the 100 most significant fi- figures in history, and I have no idea, but somehow Napoleon was number two. Somehow that little cheese whiz was got to be number, <laughs> number two on that list, and you kind of they, there was 100 of them, but the reason that this list stuck out to me is whoever in your mind is number two, and that's what I always, when I try to pick the kids' interest when we're sitting down there in the back, is 
Who is the second most significant person in the history of the world? All I want you to think about is the drop-off from number one to number two. I don't care if you're a Christian. I don't care if you're an atheist. I don't care who you are. There is an incredible drop-off to whoever your number two is on that list. I was shocked when I saw Napoleon on there. But, you know, even, even Muslim folks would tell you, Muhammad did no miracles. They admit, they will, they will tell you, Jesus did miracles, right? They call him a prophet. Jewish folks call Jesus a prophet. We call him God, right? In the history of the world, it's very common. You're going to see Jesus is the most fascinating person that ever lived. Well, with that in mind, one thing when you look through the feasts, one thing that really sticks out to me is that in the Jewish feasts, they killed him on the one day of the year you would not want to have killed him. That fascinates me. And that comes up in the feast. And he fulfills all these feasts. These feasts had been around for 1,400 years, 1,500 years, for about as long as we have celebrated Christmas. Right? That's how long they've been celebrating these feasts since the time that they're exodus from, from Egypt. So he's clearly the most fascinating person that ever lived. And I'm just going to use the, the, the menorah up here. We're just going to use it as a baseline to come back to, to kind of work our way through the feasts. This, some of you might see on there, Hanukkah was actually added. That happened during the times of the, uh, the Maccabees. Jesus actually celebrated Hanukkah, but that was not one of the original Jewish feasts given to, uh, to Moses. These Jewish feasts, Jesus was part of these. And this, we're, we're going to keep coming back to this. But when you see this seven-candle menorah, they're a representation of the seven Jewish feasts. And I know we've got, Ed, we've got some, some ex-Catholic folks in here. Who remembers the Sunday before Easter as a kid growing up? Michelle, you remember what we called that day? And Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday, Right. And what did Jesus do on Palm Sunday? When we read through the story, he came into town on a donkey and he was. This is leading into Passover. And what did John the Baptist say when Jesus came on the scene? Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday, on our Palm Sunday. And what do we do with our palms when we were done with them? Put, it, put them behind the cross. Sometimes you'd burn them. There were certain rules. I forget what all the rules were as, as a kid. But there's certain, we couldn't, you couldn't disrespect them. There were certain ways we could get rid of them. But Jesus rode into town and on Passover. That was on that, that Palm Sunday that we all think of. And again, I'm just trying to sync up what we already know, probably as Christian kids, with Jewish history and Jewish customs. Jesus rode into town, and that's when they were to bring their lambs to the temple, and they were to be inspected. Jesus comes in on Palm Sunday and over those four days, he's inspected by the people. He's inspected by the priests, by the high priests and the Pharisees, and he's questioned. They inspected him to be the perfect lamb, right? That happened. <laughs> that happened in history. That happened. And it leads right into Passover. And one thing, when you look there at Passover, verse that comes up, and some of you know this, you know, Paul wrote this, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the... Uh, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Jesus is our Passover lamb. He was judged by the people. He was judged by the Pharisees. He came into town as a rock star. But you remember what they were saying. 
come that Friday. Give us Barabbas, right? They wanted him dead. He was judged. A word that came up in a song that, that Ron just sung was the cornerstone. He's the cornerstone of the faith. He was rejected. They rejected the cornerstone of the faith. And this is where I stopped by Kroger yesterday. I don't know. Next time you go to the supermarket, if you run by the international section, you can pick these up. Yesterday when I was preparing these, I actually ate one of these. Meryl, these are terrible. Just so you know, awful. Absolutely awful. The, uh, but one thing you'll see on there is these are matzah. This is what they eat at the Passover. And if you look on there, you can actually see through it. This bread, every matzah is going to look like this. You go to any, I don't even matter if you shop at Kroger or Aldi or, or wherever you shop, they're going to look like this. You'll notice you can see through them. They're pierced. They're pierced and striped. And what did Jesus say during Passover? This is my body. Jesus said that at the Passover. Right? And the Passover itself goes back to the time when the, when the, when the, when the Jews were coming out of Egypt. Right? And we know this story from when we're kids. Let's sync it up with Jewish history. Right? What did they do on Passover? God told them, kill the lamb, apply the blood over the doorpost, and that evening the angel of death will go over your home, right? and he killed the firstborn amongst all the other families, including the animals. Right? He was the covering. His blood was the covering. He was the Passover. I don't know if, if, if you all have heard this before, but when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1946... There was a little boy who was throwing rocks, and he heard this glass shout, and he climbed up there, and he found these old, oldest scrolls that they have on Old Testament writings. The first thing the Jewish historians did is they went to Isaiah 53, because Isaiah 53 is so exact to Jesus that many Jewish historians thought that the Apostle Paul had changed it. They thought he'd gone in and tweaked it. It was so exact to a suffering Savior. If you have a chance, you can read Isaiah 53. It will blow your mind. It will absolutely blow your mind. And this is where, again, this is something that happens still every single year. Every year on the Passover, this is what they eat. And again, my confidence comes in this because we all have an agenda, right? We all, you know, we're Christians here. This is from people that are not necessarily on our side. Not against us, I don't think. Right? But this is their history. This is Jesus fulfilling the feasts. And that's where I believe, as we go back to that menorah, as we move through, I personally, I see, I see our progression. I just th- see very much identity in this. You come into Passover by faith. By faith, they applied the blood to the door. This is how you enter in. You come in by faith. Right? And then the next feast, the next day, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that's when they sacrificed the lambs in the temple. Is that where you're going to lunch, Chad? (laughs) Directions. (laughs) The, uh... The next day is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This is the day that they are actually killing the lambs in the temple. This is the day 
that Jesus was put on the cross. Do you see the symbolism here? And do you see the picture? And do you see the fulfillment of it? These things are going to happen, and Jesus knocked these things down. He's the most significant person in the history of the world. He fulfilled all these feasts that they've been celebrating for 1,400, 1,500 years. And when Jesus is up on the cross, one of the things that you might remember him saying is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22. Some of us have a friend here, Fouad Masri. Fouad runs runs an organization called Crescent Ministry. Grew up in the country of Lebanon. Not the Hoosier town. Grew up in the the country of Lebanon. And he said, in the Middle East, especially women, he said, my grandmother couldn't read or write. A lot of people in that time couldn't read or write. And what would happen is the teachers, you know, the, the, the ministers or even the rabbis, they would begin a psalm. And then the people would then join in. And if you ever get a chance to read through Psalm 22, Psalm 22 starts out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, when he's on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you then are there and you happen to know that psalm, you will finish that psalm out and you'll see that psalm is about a suffering savior. That happened. That happened. Jesus said that, and again, just you, as Russie's going through this, we're reading the Gospels from a Jewish perspective. If we read it from a Hoosier perspective, it doesn't make much sense. We have to read it from a Jewish perspective. And when you do, this thing harmonizes incredibly. It just will blow your mind. will absolutely blow your mind. And the last thing that Jesus said on the cross... Anybody know what the last thing Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. Three o'clock on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, at three o'clock, Jesus said that, gave up his spirit, right? He said, it is finished, he gave up his spirit. At three o'clock in the temple, they're killing the very last lamb for the feast. They're killing the very last sacrificial lamb. Anybody want to guess what the high priest says at three o'clock exactly at that time? It is finished. I'm not making this up. <laughs> this happened. And you can even talk to historians. Historian, look at this, right? Did that blow your mind? Because <laughs> that just happened. That happened, right? And historians don't deny the fact that they killed him on that day. They don't deny that. But in the history of the world, of the billions of people that have ever ever existed, the one guy you wouldn't want to kill on that day would be that guy. Try to calculate the odds of that, of one day in time, of the billions of people that ever existed. You can't calculate those odds. It's it's incalculable. You cannot come up with that. But exactly at 3 o'clock, the high priest says, it is finished. Jesus said that it is finished, right? Right, that's on Friday. Then we've got Saturday. He's in the ground. Sunday, again, we'll go back to the menorah. You've got the feast of first fruits. Again, these are Jewish feasts. These are not Christian things. These are Jewish feasts that they still celebrate to this day. And there's a verse that goes along with this. Here again, this is out of Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 20. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. Right? We call it Easter. Easter is a Christian term. First fruits. Jesus, that, that was the feast of first fruits. When Mary Magdalene and the ladies came upon that, that, 
That was the feast of first fruits. That's not ours. That's a Jewish feast. That feast was fulfilled by him coming up that day. Then as we go forth from that day, 50 days after that, right? Jesus then came up out of the ground. How many days was Jesus here? How many days did Jesus walk on the earth then after that with the, with the apostles? 40 days, right? So he's here for 40 days, right? So he was here for 40 days, and he told the, he told the apostles, go back to Jerusalem. I'll be there. Go there, right? And they, they, they didn't listen, right? Give them, cut them a break. As Rusty's mentioned, they're young boys. They didn't listen. They were scared. They kind of scattered. They eventually made their way back to Jerusalem, Right, because on the fiftieth day was another feast, and you'll see up here it's right in the middle. I think the reason it's in the middle it's important. It's an important one. It's important not only to Jews; it's also important to us. I thought Pentecost was a Christian term. I thought Pentecostal was a Christian term for people that couldn't dance, right? <laughs> for people that were not allowed to, you know, sip wine. I thought that there were rules, right? I just picture as a guy in a suit with wearing you know, black shoes and white socks, but he couldn't dance, but he could dance in the spirit up on the stage. The, um, but Pentecost, that's not ours, that's theirs. In the, they were up in the upper room, right? And tongues like fire came over them, right? Remember that day they spoke in tongues? Because there would have been other people there, proselytes to Judaism would have been in Jerusalem at that time. So it makes perfect sense to me that the apostles could then speak in tongues to share the message of the good news to the people from other countries that were believers in Judaism, right? Doesn't that make sense? It makes perfect sense to me that they were, had this ability to communicate. They're saying, these people are speaking in our native language because they're in Jerusalem. And the people that they're sharing the good news with, these are, these are Jewish believers. They're hearing the message about Jesus in their native tongue. That makes sense to me. Right. And that's where on Pentecost, this is where there's a what they would do is they would celebrate. Pentecost was their celebration of Moses getting the law. Right. That was their celebration of Moses getting the law. This this is the verse in uh, Leviticus when this comes up. You shall bring in from your dwelling places two loaves of bread for a wave offering made of two tenths of an ephah. They shall be a fine flour baked with leaven as first fruits to the Lord. This word, I hope this jumps out at you. Has anybody ever here ever kind of mumbled the name of the place where they go to church? Do you ever say leavener or do you just say I go to pinheads? Especially if you're talking to a religious person. Are you, do you, are you hesitant to say that you go to a church called leavener? Right? Because religious people will often tell you leaven is associated with evil. That's not true. And I'll be happy to show you the verses that go along with that. Even Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of Herod, right? And what did they do during the Feast of Unleavened Bread? They swept all the leaven out of the house, right? Because you're going to become a new lump. You're going to become a new, a new believer, right? This whole thing is about your identity, right? Because on, on, on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Jesus was on the cross. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. No longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. Romans 6.6 6 says that knowing this, our, our, our old self, right? That our old man was crucified, right? Our old self died, right? So as Passover is coming in by faith, the Feast of Unleavened Bread 
is us really turning into a new creation. The leaven's not the so is, is leaven's not the problem. It's the source of that leaven. If that source of leaven is of the world, if it's Adam's leaven, you've got a problem. If it's a new leaven, you're good. Do you see the identity in all of this in these feasts, right? In that feast of first fruits, right of Easter, that's you as a new creation. In the feast of Pentecost, right. Where's the Holy Spirit now? He's in you. This is about you. <laughs> You're now the temple of the Holy Spirit. And how these things progress through, and, and, and again, to think that the Feast of Pentecost is about the Jewish people celebrating, you know, Moses getting, getting the law. The, Troy Prude has accused me of this, of, of Romans 8, 2 being my favorite verse in, in Scripture. I, I hope this verse makes perfect sense. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. What was the law of sin and of death? Moses' law. They sacrificed animals. There's no sacrifices left. There hasn't been a sacrifice since 70 A.D. The cross was not an atoning sacrifice. The cross was a propitiation Atone, all that ever did was cover sin. What the cross did is it took it away. They're not the same. And I personally, I, I'm not picky about a lot of things. I get picky about that word when the cross gets called an atoning sacrifice or an atonement. It wasn't. It took sin away. Right? Atoning is like sweeping dust under the rug, right, and pulling the rug back over it. It's still there. Propitiation, it takes it all away. So by Passover, you come in by faith. Unleavened bread... You, you, you become a new creation, right? First fruits is, is, is Easter to us. It's you as a new creation. Pentecost of the Holy Spirit coming in and us living. You're in those feasts. And again, those feasts were fulfilled. Bang, 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 right on the exact day. Jesus called a shot and he made it happen. That happened. And I find that incredibly encouraging. I find that very, very much encouraging. Because this, this law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus that you're free from the law of sin and of death, this is where, again, I just hope when you come here, you're encouraged to live. I just hope that you're encouraged to live, not to behave, right? Live. Because anything you've ever done in your life, I don't care what game it is, right? The Meryl and I play tennis together. We double fault right? We foot fault, hit shots out, right? Some of you guys I know, you play basketball, play basketball in the day, you box, you make mistakes, right? But playing your game is not about not making mistakes. Michael Jordan traveled many times in his career. It's not about not traveling. It's about living. It's not about not sinning. It's about living. I know you're going to sin. I know you're going to screw it up. I know you're going to travel. I know you're going to throw, you know, you're going to leave yourself open. You're going to take a punch. This stuff happens. But it's not about not making mistakes. It's about living. If you screw up, move on. There's no penance. There's no flogging. Right? There's, there's, no, there's no purgatory we've got to sit through. It's getting back. And I hope that, again, you just get encouraged that, yeah, this, this walk, walking by faith, it's on a rail. 
And when you go off, it's okay. Just get it back on the rail. And I know it's hard at times. But the only way you stay on that rail is through weakness. Paul said, when I'm weak is when I'm strong. That's how you stay on that rail. It's not through somebody, you know, threatening you that if you screw up next time, I'm going to get you. And that's not how God is either. He's for you, right? And I tell the kids all the time, he loves you. And I really want the kids to know that he likes you. That, there's a difference in there. And I was praying yesterday. Meryl, I got to tell you this. That yesterday I was praying. God told me that he's fond of you and your dirty mouth. <laughs> right? We all bring baggage into this thing. Right? We all bring baggage into this thing. Right? But he not only loves you, he likes you. He's for you. He wants you to live. And when you screw up, he wants you to come back. Right? So just know that about him. Just be encouraged that, that this is a God that truly is for us. Even in times when we, we can't forgive ourselves, he's for us. Rusty, I promise I'm going to move through these last, these last feasts quickly because this is where, this, is, this becomes theology. This is my theology, and I promise I hold it like this with a wide open hand. If you ever want to talk about it, discuss it. I'm happy to sit down and talk about it. If you want to debate it, don't call. I, I won't debate it, but I'll discuss it. The, uh, and I do. I hold it openly. I'll change my mind. If you can give me chapter and verse, you can give me something out of the Talmud, you know, the Jewish historical books, I, I'll listen. The, uh, so I hold these feasts with an open hand. I believe personally that these feasts were fulfilled in 70 AD. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. Right. And how that comes to be is that you look at something like the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets. You all remember when they're going into Jericho, into the promised land, you remember what happened They had the trumpet blast and then they go in. Right. There's a verse in Habakkuk. Habakkuk one. And this is where the uh, I'm glad you got it like this. Todd. leave it just like this. Right. This is a verse we've all heard. And I think it's taken out of context. Habakkuk is saying to God, how long, when are you going to deal with these, the, these Jewish people? They don't respect you. They don't, they, they, they don't honor you. This is, what, what are you going to do about this? Right? This is God speaking to Habakkuk. Look among the nations, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. And people stop right there. What comes after this is one of the scariest things you'll ever hear. And people will quote this verse like, isn't this a beautiful verse? No, it's not. Because the next verse, what it says after that is, this is again, God speaking to, to, to Habakkuk. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, modern-day Iraq. The Chaldeans, modern-day Iraq. That fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. He's raising up the Chaldeans. He's raising up the Iraqis to come in judgment against Israel. You read the rest of that chapter, the rest of that chapter, Habakkuk is like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. I, I just wanted you to kind of deal with these people. I don't want this kind of judgment coming against us. But I believe that's what happened in 70 AD. God wrote, rose up the Roman army and they came against them. He gave them 40 years to see that he was the Messiah. It was a transitional time. It was a different time. It's different than what we have right now. He gave them 40 years to see that he was the Messiah, right? 
And that's what I, I, I see in there is, is in the, these feasts. And the next feast out of there is the Feast of Atonement. The temple was destroyed then. The temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. There's not been an animal sacrifice since 70 A.D. But every year they celebrate this feast. There's no animal sacrifice to even atone just to cover their sin. There, is, there hasn't been one since 70 A.D. And in Hebrews 8, uh, verse 13, you'll see in there, this is before the temple was destroyed. This was written in the 60s, maybe around 63 A.D., before the, the Roman army came in to destroy. But he said, a new covenant has, has been made, the first uh, obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. This was written just a few years before the temple was destroyed. Disappeared is right. It's nearly 2,000 years ago now. The temple's not been rebuilt. And there hasn't been an animal sacrifice. And it is split between the Muslims and, and the Jews right now. And I don't think the Jews are going to go, or the Muslims are going to go for them rebuilding the temple. But there's not been an animal sacrifice since 70 A.D. This too, as far as the atonement, this comes out of the Talmud. This is a Jewish historical book. And again, I do think that this is, is mind-blowing. This is written in the Talmud that they used to, during the Haggagah sacrifice on the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they used to tie a scarlet bow, ribbon, around the scapegoat's neck. Have you ever heard the term scapegoat? It's a Jewish term. And then they would set it free. In the Talmud, it says, the Talmud was written by Jewish historians 40 years before the destruction of the temple, right? In 30 AD, who was crucified in 30 AD? If you, if you miss this, you've got to go home. Who was crucified in 30 AD? Jesus was. Jesus, Jewish historians said 40 years before the destruction of the temple in 70 AD, that scarlet ribbon for years had always turned white. It stopped turning white in 30 AD. I didn't write that. The Jewish historians wrote it. You can read it in the Talmud right now. That book is still there. I didn't write that. Does that blow your mind? Because that just happened. <laughs> That's in the Talmud. And there's other things that historians point out that stopped happening 40 years before the destruction of the temple. And again... This is evidence, right? This is testimony from somebody that's not on our side, right? I, that's why I believe so much in these feasts, is that's a testimony that I want to hear because it's confirming to me that Jesus is who he said he was. The last feast, so we come up here, the last feast is Tabernacles. You hear a lot of theories about this. The, uh, but Tabernacles, what that feast is, they celebrate in Tabernacles their 40 years of wandering in the desert. That's about their 40 years of wandering in the desert. How long was the time from the cross until the destruction of the temple? It was 40 years. Now, and it makes sense to me that that's the Feast of Tabernacles. Was, it, you know, came up at that time. The, uh, this is a verse. This is in John. I'm sure you all know this, this verse. This is John uh, chapter 1, verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, dwelt among us. This word is the same as the words they use in tabernacles, right? And remember in the transfiguration, you know, when that happened, they wanted to build, you know, tabernacles at that time. 
this is where, again, it's, where's, where's the tabernacle now? Where's the temple now? The temple's in you. You are the temple, right? And that's where, again, Romans 8, 11 comes up a lot here about you have the exact same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. And I do believe someday when we die, we will have old covenant friends that are going to want to know what it was like to walk this earth as the temple, right? Because Moses used to go to tabernacle, right? And Joshua would go with him, and Caleb would somehow just hang out there. And Caleb, I don't know where he came from. He's a fascinating character. But he would be there, and he would observe that. Right, And they would go to temple. And David and Solomon, they built the temple. And you are the temple. right? And Jesus came here and he dwelt among us. And then when he left, he said, I'll send a helper. Because he was one person. The Spirit now dwells within all of you. Part of that too, here again, during the destruction of the temple, there was over a million Jewish people killed in the destruction of the temple. And the Jewish historians, again, you can look this up on your own. Any guess how many Jewish Christians were killed at that time? Zero. That's not from me. Jesus warned about this time. He kept talking about this generation, this generation. He's carrying the cross. He tells us, don't worry about me. There's going to be a day you're going to ask for those rocks to fall on you. Right? He warned them about this day that was coming. And a generation during that time was how long? It was 40 years. So that's what I see. Again, I hold those last three feasts very loosely, right? And I don't, I'll share, I'm sharing this with you guys today. If you want to talk about it, I would love to. But that's just what I see. And I I just find it fascinating. And if I know there's plenty of other ways. I know one theory you, you hear about tabernacles that they believe the feast of tabernacles was fulfilled when jesus was born that could be the uh and so i could be totally wrong about my you know theology there i to- i totally understand that but it's just what i believe if anybody wants to discuss that i'm up for it so the the, the idea here is that again we have faith we have faith right I assume you're probably sitting here because you have faith. But I hope what you draw out of this is that this is not a blind faith. Well, there's evidence here. And a lot of times what I see from the world is the world dismisses Christianity out of hand. They don't look at the evidence. They just dismiss it. Or they've seen me act improperly. Or they've seen other Christians act improperly. And they think, yeah, you know, the Christians are hypocrites. Right? I've seen them behave don't dismiss any faith because of the behavior of some. Look at the source. Look at the source of it. Study the source of it. This is some evidence that needs to be dealt with. And I hope, I hope what this does, these feasts, is all it does, it just reinforces the fact that Jesus is who he said he was. That they killed the most significant person in the history of the world on the one day at the exact time you would not want to do that. I just hope that that's an encouragement. And the, the last verse I just want to close out with is, it's Romans 2, 4. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Right? And I would tell you, I don't, I, I, it doesn't bother me so much if what I'm saying makes you angry. I hope it makes you happy. 
But more than, than anything, I hope it's the kindness of God that drives you. I think love's a far greater driver than anger is. Right? And if you understand the kindness of God and how he's for you, how he loves you, and how he likes you, I hope that drives you deeper into this. And if you see something different on this, please tell me. I love talking about this stuff. Because the deeper and deeper that I dig, the more anchored my faith has become. It, it doesn't bring up, it, it doesn't make me question more. It only, it only draws me in deeper. So in, in leaving today, again, I just hope that what drives you is the kindness and the love of God. And I hope that you are encouraged. I hope that you walk by the Spirit. And when you screw up, I hope you just get right back on and walk on. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time today. I thank you for who you are. I thank you for these feasts and these evidence that you've left here for us and how you fulfilled these things. And uh, I'm just grateful for this day, grateful for friends. I'm grateful for my mom being here too. And uh, I'm just grateful that you dwell within us and you lead us into an abundant life. I thank you. And on behalf of everybody here, thanks for having us as your children. In Jesus' name we pray.